So in life, we have a variety of different career paths and we you know, have different starting places along the way. On today's episode, I sit down with Scott Olson, who actually started a sales training and consulting business in which he works with sales leadership of corporations to help people transform their lives. So we discuss quite a few different topics today on the importance of empathy and trust in the sales process, the job of a salesperson, and then get a little backstory on uh, kind of how Scott works and how he's gotten to where he is today. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you guys for joining us again for another episode on the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Today, I have Scott Olson with us today. Scott, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Why don't you just um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now? You bet. So I founded the Olson Group back in 1999 with the mission of helping people transform their lives. And I I do that on an individual level, definitely, but also uh, one-on-one, but through corporations as well, most often working with sales organizations and sales leadership. And I do that through training, coaching, and consulting. And I really want to help people, you know, achieve more than they thought possible. And at the same time, find more fulfillment in the work that that they do. So you you kind of have an interesting backstory that you have shared with me before, but you didn't always, um, you didn't, you know, enter college thinking that you're going to be doing what you're doing today, correct? That's right. I, I thought I was going to be an economist. And so kind of give me the, you, what jobs did you have leading up to um, actually starting your own business? So I graduated from the University of Washington with my degree in economics, kind of uh, snuck through that program and thought I wanted to be an economist, but but no one else thought I should be. And what is an economist, by the way? An economist studies uh, the markets and and really they're trying to um, analyze kind of what's working in uh, the market, in countries, in regions and suggest good policies that could help promote growth. So they might study things like minimum wage laws, uh, how they help, how they hurt, um, things like that, uh, trade policies also. So you graduated with an, a, an economist, or what would that be, a bachelor's in economy? or That's right. Okay. And then what happened after that? Well, I had the internships in college, and I had two or three people tell me, you should look into sales. And I thought, hmm, that's, what is sales? People just buy things. What does a salesperson have to do? That sounds like a pretty simple simple deal. And I had a, a CEO of one internship I did at a brokerage firm suggest that. And then my dad suggested it also, and he was a pilot, and he said, you should look into sales. I thought, well, why is that? He goes, well, uh, you know, I fly people around and the salespeople seem to be the happiest people on the plane. And of course, my dad wants me to be happy. So he thought that might, might help. So that was his suggestion. So I graduate and then I'm looking for a job and I have a friend of mine said, Hey, we should, while we're looking for a job, uh, we should get into car sales. You know, that might be, might be kind of fun. I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's the last thing. My mom will kill me if I do that. So I thought about it, and I, I wasn't really getting much traction. So I said, well, I'll think about it if you really commit to this. We'll do it together. He said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So we looked around and uh, found a place I thought I could, I could, I could work at uh, while I was looking for another job. And, but I was concerned, though, because I thought if I did this, with my competitive nature, I would really be committed to doing well while I was doing it, at the very least, and that might keep me there longer. So I, I, I thought I'd get really, really focused on it, being successful, at least while I was there. And that's kind of what happened. So my friend got out of it like three months later. I was doing pretty good and enjoying it uh, for the most part. Uh, and ended up being in it for five and a half years, actually, until uh, I got an opportunity. So I was very opportunistic. A, a customer came in. Uh, we helped them buy a car. 
and he asked me uh, if I'd ever thought about going into businesses and presenting on how to buy a car. He said most people hate it, think he thought I'd be good at it, and it'd be good for the business. And I said no, I never, I never thought about that really. And he goes, yeah, you should, you should think about it. And so I kind of went on my way, and then a few minutes later, I came back by to see how he was doing with one of my salespeople. And he said, uh, hey, uh, I always I like to give back more than I receive. I'd like to give your sales team free free sales training, negotiation skills specifically. I thought, wow, that sounds really nice. I didn't know who the person really was, but I thanked him. And Were you a sales manager at this time? I was a sales manager at this time. Okay. And uh, he said... Yeah, I like to give back more than I receive, and I really appreciate this experience. Um, it's been the best car buying experience, car buying experience ever, and uh, I'm one of the best trainers there is, and I'd like to offer you this. And I said, "Wow, that sounds great." And I was a big believer in training and development. That's why I like being a sales manager. And I said, "Great, I'm in, and uh, we'll find a time where my team, where we can all do this." And he said, "Great." And then before before I left, he said. Hey, you know, I'm a member of the uh, Princeton Alumni Club of Oregon and used to be the president for the National Association for Princeton. Would you be open to presenting at one of our alumni events? And it could be on that topic we discussed, you know, kind of how to buy a car, insider's guide to bu buying a car. And I couldn't think of a way to get out of it. <laughs> so I said yes. And so now I was in for this training he was going to deliver and in for this uh, event I was going to present at. And he still hadn't left yet. I, I went back, did some more of my work. I, I happened to just kind of walk by the office he was in, going through this paperwork and owner's manual for his new car. And he said, hey, Scott, have you forgotten anything? And I said, no, I think, I think you're all set. He goes, are you sure? I thought, well, you have, we have your title to your trade and done all the paperwork. And yeah, yeah, you're all set. He goes, are you sure? So now I knew he was kind of messing with me. I said, yeah, I'm absolutely sure. He goes, aren't you going to ask me for referrals? I thought, oh, geez. <laughs> this guy, I can't get him out of here. So I go, yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, I'll be right back. And so I, I, I grabbed this sheet, which had a place for 10 names and numbers. So I grab it and I go to the copy machine. It was our last copy. And so I went and I made five more copies. And uh, I come back to me and he goes, well, how many do you want? When I thought about it, I said, i got to shut this guy up somehow. I said, I want 60. He goes, 60? Are you sure? That's all you want? <laughs> I said, yes. <laughs> he goes, I'll give you 63. It'll give me, give me a few days and I'll get back to you on those. And uh, sure enough, he took the copies and he, he faxed them back to me, 63 names. I thought, wow. And most of them were VPs or CEOs of various companies in the Portland, Oregon area. And I started making calls to these folks. And as soon as I mentioned his name, and his name was Ken Seward, who was the customer. And... Uh, he had his own training consulting firm, really just, just him for the last 10 years, but he'd been doing that for 10 years. And when I mentioned his name, everyone lit up and they couldn't, you know, you could just feel the energy uh, when I mentioned his name to them and he'd referred me to them and I talked and uh, I thought, wow, this guy's something, something else. So uh, he delivered the course about a month later, did an outstanding job. And what made it great was he invited people from around the community, different organizations, uh, primarily high-tech firms, sales leaders, salespeople on this one day of negotiation skills and it was outstanding. And then about a month later I delivered this presentation to the Princeton Alumni Club of Oregon and I thought, how do what do I present? What do I how do I do this? And I thought through I thought, well you know what? I'm gonna pretend the audience they are members of my family and my best friends. What would I tell them? And I really boiled it down to it it's all about trust. The dealership needs to uh, establish trust, but also the dealer has to trust the customer too because they're putting a price on trade-ins and a lot of that's based on trust. Sure, they inspect the car, but um, you'll get more for your vehicle if they really know all about the history of it and so forth. So that was my theme and it got a really good, pretty good reaction. And afterwards, Ken said, that was fantastic. If you ever want to go into business with me, let me know. So I thought, wow. wow, this is, I've always, you know, consulting and training. I, I love this, and I, I love it just being, receiving it. Really good consulting and training, but I hadn't really thought through if I really could do that at that level. So 
I thought about it, but I thought, no, I can't make this transition. I cannot go from the car business into business consulting and training. It's just too big of a, a stretch, I think. So maybe I need to do something else first and then come back to it. I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. And uh, Ken and I had uh, lunch again, and he mentioned it one more time, so I knew he really meant it. Well, it still took me another month. And finally, I, I thought, if I were my best friend, I would kick myself in the butt, just go for it. I was 28 at the time, and I thought, let's just go for it. Get the experience. What do you, what do you have to lose? And so I called him up, and I said, Ken, I want to go into business with you. And he, he, there was silence. I thought, oh, he didn't really mean what he said. He forgot he said it. He changed his mind. And finally he said, okay, I'm heading to Florida for a, uh, a, a week, a business trip. I'll be back. When I come back, we'll sit down and we'll discuss it. I thought, okay, that's not the exact commitment I wanted, but it sounds promising. So fast forward a week, get together, and uh, we were sitting down talking, and he said, first I need to tell you that I have cancer. And I'll understand if you don't want to go into business with somebody in this situation. Um, and here's the letter from my doctor. I said, I don't, as proof, like I need a proof. I said, no, no, I don't, I don't need to, to read that. Um, but no, that won't, that doesn't stop me from wanting to work with you. And then um, he said, okay, let's discuss how we're going to split the, uh, what we earn. I said, what do you think? And I thought I was being pretty bold. But I said, uh, I get 30, you get 70%. And he said, no. You get 100%, I get zero. I didn't like that. But I got a feeling he was not going to negotiate on that. So I said, I said, okay. And then later I realized why I didn't like that so much. Because it put all the pressure on me. And he had no incentive financially to do anything. But it was a brilliant strategy because he was more concerned about my development really than the success of the business or our work together. And uh, that put all the pressure. And so it started out where I would get 100% and I'd basically go out and I'd, I'd call on companies and I'd bring Ken in and have him sell it and close it. Well, I learned. And then pretty quickly he said, okay, here's the deal. If I close it, I get X percentage. If I do the presentation, I get X percentage. If I do the discovery process, I get X percentage. So again, he was motivating, putting all the incentives on my plate to, to learn more so I could earn more at, the, at that time. So that's, and eventually it did be, become 50-50. Uh, um, or we kind of would look at the project and kind of base it, whatever made sense. Uh -huh. So that's kind of the long story on how I got into it. But I got into the car business just to, to work, to earn a living. Uh, it was a good starting place because I learned so much the value of trust. And that's important no matter what we're talking about. When in the car business, you really start at a disadvantage because people really have an eye open for that because of the negative stereotypes. And so it was so important. No trust, no sale uh, is definitely true. And so I really didn't take that for granted and made sure everything that was done by me, my team, that established or enhanced our credibility and nothing worked against that. So going back to, that's an interesting, I'm kind of, in your as I as I listen to the story that you just shared, you had a number of people throughout your life kind of throw the oh you should think about sales. Um, did you actually growing up? Did you have experiences of like actually selling? You know, like the stereotypical lemonade stand or baseball cards or anything like that. Did, was there anything in your past that when people said that you were kind of like? Yeah, that, you know, I actually am good at that. I had three things in particular. One was uh, a yard service growing up, and the door-to-door -door was a part of it, and I didn't really take it for granted as I was really selling, although that's definitely what it was. I just kind of did it because I wanted to do the work. So, and that was, uh, that worked out great, and that was door-to-door. -door. And then later was a window cleaning service, and that didn't start out as well, but I would, uh, when I got up at my first day doing it, I walked around the neighborhood, I don't know how many houses, but I got no, 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 no. And then finally on, I was done, I'd given up. 
and I thought, well, you know what? I've given up. <laughs> I'm done with this, but I have to walk home, and there's homes that I haven't been to on the way home, so I might as well knock on those doors too, just because I'm they're on the way home. And so I'm going through my pitch, and I remember I started walking away as I was just finishing my pitch before it's even done. I started walking away because I knew it was going to be a no. And then she stopped me. This woman stopped me. And said, "Yeah, I'd like to do that." And I was like, "What?" And so I, I we signed up the time where I was going to come back and do it. And then I then I had a this new new energy and I ended up closing two more on the way home. Um, and so you just never kind of know when it can come together. But but yeah, so I had those experiences uh, doing that. And then as a waiter in college, uh, you know that that kind of service industry experience. Mm. So then. You so those were the three experiences growing up that you had in sales. That then jumping into the car business, and I guess I should ask you: Do you feel like you were naturally good at sales, or did you have great training at the car dealership when you got there, or were you just very you know self-aware and analytical in the process? I think it was a combination, uh, both some some natural skills. I had some good training as well and my managers and leaders made a huge difference there's no question about that because i had a variety of them at that time and uh but definitely i was lucky to get some good training right off right off the bat my friend and i both joined up and everyone thought he was going to be the superstar this guy was so funny charismatic uh just uh, people just enjoyed being around him and uh i wasn't so so sure how i was going to do and I took the training, listened to every word of it, and applied it. He applied nothing. He went off of his instincts, and they were wrong. I was the top salesperson the second month I was there, which was my first full month. Uh, he took the longest to sell his first car of anyone on history at the dealership. We were selling Acuras. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it was just amazing. Um, but he, he just wouldn't go by, he, he wouldn't follow the process. He thought he could out, outsmart it in a sense. So I do believe there's principles, fundamental principles out there. There's a science and there's an art. I, I definitely had to learn the process, but the art over time, I feel like if you really know the science first, you can be more artful. Like Michael Jordan, he was so fundamentally sound as a basketball player, but he could do so much on top of that. But he had such sound fundamentals mm -hmm. uh, as, as to, to build from. And I think that's true with lots of things. Do you have any um, stories to share about just analyzing and kind of reflecting on a particular sale? I'm sure that there's there has to be a few sales that you had that kind of rank in the your top or most or favorite for who knows a variety of reasons. I have more as a consultant, but if I go back to the car sales. Wasn't any particular. Well, there there was some that were kind of longer, and I just I, I hung in there and and got really creative to close the business. But one of my favorite days was we had just been through this telephone selling skills for the car business, how to answer the phone effectively, and really track your numbers, track your metrics to make sure you had enough opportunities, and. One of the ideas was if you had so so many activities in a month, you would in, help ensure yourself ensure success of hitting your goals. You just did the math, you divided it up, and worked backwards. And the idea was sometimes people would come onto the lot, and you you could help them. Those were the best because they were most likely looking for something right now. Uh, the next best was a phone call because they were calling in. Uh, the next best would be uh, someone going to service. The next best would be reaching out to people that had leased in the past to see if they're interested in looking. looking. Um, and then the next best, I guess, would just be randomly calling people up in the phone book. It never got to that point. But the idea was if you didn't have a certain number a day, you had to manufacture opportunities to talk to people. And I remember one day I had had, I think, I think the goal was, uh, I'm guessing here, but three it might have been three conversations a day. And at the time, you know, Acura is a little higher line, so you may not have the quantity at other dealerships. So I'd had, I think, maybe zero 
customers and it starts to snow and everybody's out there looking out the snow having fun taking you know doing whatever they're doing and then the phone starts to ring and instead of having fun with the snow I was in there answering all the calls and I went through this had to answer properly uh, in a way where you get their name and number so you can call them back and follow up because most of the time they would call in and just they wouldn't want to give that information to you uh, and then you're kind of stuck you gave them information but you had no way to following up and so there was this technique where you, you get their name and number then you you follow back up with the information they wanted and so I went through that and it worked like a charm and I set up three appointments for the next day and uh, that next day I, th I sold three cars and that was really really exciting but it was because I was disciplined the day before and, and didn't just sit there and think, well, it's snowing. I, I guess I'll take the rest of the day off here. But I was committed to following this process and it, and it paid off. So that was a highlight looking, looking back. So one of the things I noticed when I first met you was you have a very calm and collected demeanor. And you, you're very, I would say, methodical with your words. And um, is that something that you like? Growing up, were you always that way, or have you worked on that demeanor, or is that something that just came naturally to you? I, I think a little bit of both. It was something I always really appreciated. Uh, my dad, I believe, is like that. My mom would always compliment my dad uh, about being that way, and as it's very important as a pilot, you have to stay calm, cool, collective, no matter what. And I think he, there was one time he flew for Air America. He was in the Vietnam area for about 15 years. And I think there was one time the plane did crash, had to have to do a crash landing, but he was calm and cool. So I thought the best thinking occurs that way. And so I appreciate that when other people are that way. And I think salespeople can do themselves a huge disservice if they come across as the fast talking, try to bamboozle somebody. I think a lot of decisions are not made by customers because they get confused by a salesperson. And if they're confused, they should technically default to a no decision. So I want to do the least amount of things to confuse anybody. I try to keep it simple. And so that's really, it's a strategy. Uh, I appreciate it. And I, I think people make better decisions that way. And that's, I think, one of the um, primary goals of a, a professional salesperson is to help customers make good decisions. And it may not be always your solution, but at least I want to give my solution the best possible chance and make the best argument on behalf of my solution or my services or my the company I'm representing for this client at the same time having complete credibility and integrity because without that we have nothing. And in the car business I saw this happen quite a bit where people would be given an amazing deal and they would walk away because they didn't know. They didn't know what a good deal was, but they didn't trust. There was something that they didn't trust. So it, I think it's something that I... To some degree, uh, born with, appreciate it early on, and then definitely work to practice. And that's my that's my strategy. Mm. So you mentioned trust several times. If you can get someone to trust you as a car salesman, you probably could get them to trust you in a variety of situations. Get anyone to trust you. And and again, we don't have to stay rooted in car sales, but just in general, what are some things that you've learned or some strategies? How does how do you become trustworthy um, and quickly? Well, one thing that comes to mind, two things. You know, one is what to do about that. The other is the psychological effect. That was one of the most challenging parts about being in the car business. That was the, the psychological effect on people. Because I'd never really experienced that. I had experienced people trusting me. But it wasn't me. It was just the role that I was in in that environment. And they're buying something. And so salespeople in general, but especially the car because of the car sales because of the stigma around that but the psychological effect was challenging and just to kind of recognize that that and to be able to separate yourself from the customer and what they're experiencing and then to recognize okay how can I influence this in a positive way what can I do and of course the first thing is everything you do must be completely ethical and trustworthy and so makes probably common sense but just just to make sure and, and, and when in doubt you need to um, just overcompensate for that. And at the same time, if you come across uh, you know, trying too hard, that's going to look funny as well. So it's this interesting balance. Uh, but being transparent, I, I think the tone of voice 
makes a difference. The speed at which you talk, uh, being consistent, keeping it simple, all those things help, I think, establish trust and credibility. And a huge part of that is the questions that you ask as well. And one of the big learning lessons for me, you know, going into this right out of college was to recognize the road to success was in serving other people. The more people you serve, the more um, it'll help you achieve your own personal goals. But to do it through helping other people and making those connections. It sounds like to become or to be perceived as trustworthy, you really have to understand the customer um, as quickly as possible, what they're looking for, why they're there, all that stuff. And you do that through asking questions. Is that a safe way to phrase that? Yes. What you ask, how you ask it, and when you ask it are very important. And then, of course, coupled with that is the listening. Really focusing, giving all of your attention, accepting. With, that's withholding judgment, accepting where the customer is coming from. doesn't mean you have to agree with it or their point of view, but showing that you really accept them. And then connecting, trying to find common ground with what they're going through with something that you may have experienced that is, that is similar or, or something that you know. And then another piece is being aware of your emotions and practicing empathy. And that's where I define as we understand where the person's coming from, we don't have to feel the same way. Versus sympathy where if you cry, I'm going to cry. And it's like we want our professionals, we want our doctors to be empathetic, not sympathetic. They need to keep a level head. They need to understand why we're in the pain that we're in but to keep a level head because they need to help us. And it's the same with the salesperson. Obviously, it's not as critical as a doctor, but they need to practice empathy at the very least. I understand where you're coming from. I understand that concern. I don't have to feel the same way you do, but I understand it. I understand how you could feel that way. And then the last one is using all of your senses, not just uh, what you hear, but just in a handshake or, or, or the tone of the voice, um, the pace which they're talking. You're using your whole body to really absorb everything. And I can think of one of the best analogies for me is with athletics. If you think of like a linebacker, they have to kind of use all of their senses. They have to feel what's going on all around them, not just what's right in front. They have to kind of sense it almost. And that's like a good salesperson as well, or a good professional, really a good leader. But in sales specifically, using all of their senses to kind of absorb everything that the customer is saying. And when we do that, that also helps us establish more credibility. It's perhaps even more important than asking great questions is being a great listener and really absorbing it and not going through the motions. But but the combination is very powerful. Right. So you mentioned empathy. Now I have to ask this from a selfish standpoint. Um, my wife tells me that I am not very empathetic. How do you, or is it possible for someone to practice empathy and I guess the most important thing about empathy is I can feel like I am empathetic but if other people don't feel like I am that's all that matters that's a good point yeah yeah it is definitely something you can practice being sympathetic is harder because that's a really you're feeling the emotions right uh, but empathetic is just understanding how someone could feel that way so it's it's more intellectual I think taking the time to think about it. For example, there was a VP of sales at a high-tech company I was had been talking to, and it was one of those situations where it was sounding very positive. We were going to work together, and then things kind of went dark, and I wasn't getting a response. And I thought, you know, I'm really going to let him have it. I'm going to call him, and if I don't reach him, I'm going to leave him a, a, a tough voice message. Right before I called, I take, took a moment, luckily, and realized it was the last day of the quarter. And this company really pushed hard at the end of the quarter to get as many sales across the finish line as possible. And I realized, wow, that's what he's been going through the last week and a half. He may not be calling me for different reasons, but that definitely could be one of the reasons. So I changed my strategy. Instead, I left a voice message saying, uh, I just wanted to reach out and know it's the last day of the quarter. Hope you finished really, really strong and look forward to talking to you when it makes sense. And, and that was it. And then I did get a call back. There's no, no, no silver bullet or guarantees, but I practiced empathy there by thinking through what's, what is he going through right now? What might he be feeling? And it just kind of hit me. It was this, this aha. So I think just taking the time to think it through can help. Mm -hmm. Now, with um, your wife, I know there's, there's a test I took. 
and my wife took it as well on me uh, years ago, and it's called the Taylor Johnson test, and it's a great test for couples because it does a crisscross. I take it on myself, and she takes it on me, and I can take it on her, and she takes it on herself. So you can see how you see yourself and how she sees you. And in some cases, we've used it in corporations with executive teams also. Mm. But uh, in this situation, one of the things it scores for is sympathy versus indifference. Indifferent. And if you're in the middle, you're more likely to come across as empathetic. But I scored myself relatively high on sympathetic, but she scored me closer to indifferent. And so talk about that gap, and you guys might have the same thing. But it was an <laughs> eye-opener for me to you know, practice that as well with her. Right, because that's the thing I think is most important is just, um, I guess it seems to me that it is important for salespeople to be very self-aware and to work on, um, you know, you can practice the tactics that you were taught, but then you have to be self-aware enough to be almost objective or like from a third person perspective, analyze. it's like watching game film, I would imagine. Yes, and the characteristics for an effective leader, an effective salesperson are um, similar. And so that awareness, like Warren Bennis says, the, uh, the key to good leadership is awareness, aware of yourself. I thought, well, what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. But the more you understand yourself, the more you can um, adjust and influence and more control you have over how you uh, respond to people. So I think that's, I, that's the way I see it anyway. Hmm. And so it's very similar for leadership and sales. So was you going back to the the transition? You get you're heading out of car sales. You've obviously developed a lot of tactical sales skills at this point. Um, where did you feel like and this is something that I'm very interested in? It's the title of the podcast, but just trying to discover your purpose or passion in life. Um, did you feel like? It's you said in the beginning you were hesitant to go into car sales, then because of your competitive nature, you're actually quite good at it. So then it was difficult to, um, to I'm assuming that you can get kind of caught in that, um, the energy and the excitement around that. But why was there something throughout that that you kind of felt you were almost waiting for an opportunity, like what presented, um, with it was his name was Ken, right? That's right, Kent. Yeah, uh, waiting might be the word. Maybe hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really have a strategy. It was more of a hope. I didn't have goals. The thing was, I, I thought with my competitive nature, I'm going to want to do really well at it, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I was just reminded talking to a business partner the other day about this, but the importance of whatever you do, do do it well. And it, I went to Jesuit High School, and on in the in the locker room, it said "Ajay Quadajus," right? Which is whatever you do, do it well. And so that was in my nature anyway. And so I thought I might get caught up in this and not have not remember that my long-term goal, um, uh, which should, which was really to be more of a you know business-to-business -business professional sales uh, area. And you know, and if it could, if I could be a consultant and a, and a sales trainer, wow, that'd be. Great, but I just loved being around that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I got caught up in it. And so I was listening to some tapes on the way in to work. And I switched dealerships about halfway through, about two and a half years into it, and to the other Acura dealership in town. And it went from like a 10-minute drive to like a 30-minute drive, which I hated. Um, but it gave me a, it actually became a, a, a blessing because I started listening to these CDs, books, various things, educational things on the way into work and the way, way home. And one of the things I picked up on was, and I think this can be tricky, but uh, it was a suggestion that you should, whatever you do, uh, you should do it. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't worry about whether you're paid for it or not in a sense. Because you want to do it, you don't even care. Yeah, we need to earn a living, but. Um, you would do it anyway, in a sense, if you, if you could. And what really energizes you. And so going to work in the car business was really a motivational session every day in itself for me. Because I I did it just to compete, but I really didn't. There was parts I enjoyed about it, but a lot of points that were um, real energy drainers for me. So every day was a motivational session 
to do my best while I was there. And, but, but I wasn't setting time aside to look for other opportunities. So it was getting harder and harder. And so I really got lucky and I was opportunistic. I seized the opportunity, but uh, I, I didn't have a good plan or strategy like I would help someone. You know, part of what I do is career counseling. And when I started, that was about a third of the work that we did. It was career counseling, consulting, and training. Over the years, I've just done more corporate. That's, that's grown, but I still do a, a, you know, a fair amount of that career counseling piece, which I really enjoy. So if I'd have been my career counselor, I'd have put together a better strategy on that. But I was really just not sure how to do that at the time. Mm, so you kind of just had your head down and were grinding. And luckily, someone came and kind of interrupted that that grind to present something that then you had time to obviously think about and consider and, and then act on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in a lot of cases, you know, I spend the bulk of my time now in, in the high tech space. And there's been accounts where when they learn about the background, they don't, they don't want to work with me. Now, there was one high profile company here in Portland that I won't mention the specific name, but very high profile. I met with a COO and he was digging, digging, digging on, tell me about your past history. And this is when I'd been in consulting and training for you know, 14 years. And he goes, I want to know what you did, what you did before that. And I go, well, I was in, you know, I, I spent five and a half years in the car business sales, uh, finance and insurance manager, used car manager, sales manager, and so on. And, and I, I really, the place I was passionate about was the training development of the team. That's what I really enjoyed was helping the other people really be successful. And he goes, we're, we're not looking for somebody that comes from that space. We don't hire people from that, huh. from the industry. And, well, that's why I don't lead with that topic, right? You won't find it on my LinkedIn profile. You won't find it on my website. I'll talk about it, but I don't advertise it because just because of the stigma. And I like to let the work as a consultant and trainer speak for itself and look at the clients, look what I've helped them accomplish and so forth. Proof's in the pudding. So um, they did end up becoming a client. But uh, I, I had to come. It wasn't through the COO, I can assure you that. But uh, he was still there when I ended up doing work with him. But uh, it wasn't an easy sale. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a blessing and a curse. But we all have to start somewhere, and it can be a very it can be a great it can be a great place. Mm. Uh, you learn a lot. It's a it's a high stakes. It's a lot of people. It's their largest purchase or second largest purchase, and so it can be very very emotional and so forth. So I, I learned a ton. It was a great for me. It was a great place to um, to train and develop and to test. And learn an opportunity to learn mm. um, and get my feet wet. So currently, what does um, you mentioned early on? You didn't really have any um, plan or career goals. As of today, what does success look like for you? Success looks like helping more people each year and in a more valuable way. So. I would take the more, the same amount at a, in a more valuable way first, but I look to do a combination. How can I help more people and add more value? And so that's the number one thing. And sometimes I wish I didn't ask for that as my goal to add more value because it makes it more complex and tricky, but that's what I want. I want to be able to find ways to add even more value on an individual level and an organizational level each and every year. And that, that comes first. And then it's a matter of, okay, how can I do it? What else can I add to services? or become better at to help people uh, develop on their end. Mm. And then you... You know, and I might add, if I go back to that comment about that one customer, there are lots of customers that appreciate it and they respect uh, that background also. Because uh, against a double-edged sword, they go, well, that, that's a humbling experience in, in the car business. And I think it's humble, being humble is a good thing in any industry. Um, and some people really appreciate it uh, and value it, or others kind of, you know they can they can kind of turn their nose up to it, um, which I think is uh, too bad for them. I think really. Right. So it sounds like it's a it's it's a polarizing. Um, ah, that's the right. History. Yes, that's it's a good either way to they it. love it or they hate it. Polarizing. Yeah. Polar. I remember one time a psychologist came in to buy a car, and she talked about how much she hated. Uh, car salespeople didn't even know me just kind of just said it right off the bat i thought well you're a psychologist and this is what, <laughs> that's you're, what you're leading telling. With. <laughs> i mean wow that's that's so shallow 
So, um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so do you think as of, um, as of right now, do you, um, as and this, just as far as pursuing another career or maybe career might be too strong of a, a word, but you mentioned about trying to find a way to add more value. Um, what, it, what things are you most passionate about that you could see yourself um, diving into further and or I guess the question is, is it a shift in what you're doing or is it just a, a narrowing down or, um, you know, getting more specific into something? Uh, it's adding complementary components and becoming even better, just learning every year. So it's, just, it's not the same year over and over, but it's learning from each year. How can I deliver this course better? More, how can we get better results from this program based on uh, feedback from current clients? It, it's, you know, I believe that you have to run pretty fast to stay in the same place, especially in business. And I want to get ahead. So you have to keep, you can't take it for granted. Things change. And so there's always um, adjustments that need to be made. Hopefully I'm getting smarter and wiser with my experiences. Maybe I can do things in a more efficient way also. So different, different ways of looking at that. Uh, one big way is uh, working with my business partner, Gary Brashear. Uh, he we, he really re recognized this idea, but we have kind of an inside-out approach where he was one of my first clients when he worked uh, as VP of Sales at Web Trends early on. His career, he'd, he'd go into another organization. I'd kind of I'd kind of follow. Say, hey, remember me? And I'd do some more work with him and his teams. And then about 2007, he had left his last kind of full-time corporate role, and I said, Hey, Gary, you want to join me? I'm delivering a negotiation skills course, which is one of his specialties. He said, Sure. And it just worked. It was a lot of fun, and we've been working together ever since. Um, uh, when and where it makes sense with with our projects and with our with our clients. So uh, the inside out mean he really grew up on the inside of these organizations. I grew up as the outside consultant and trainer, so we bring a different perspective. But it's a nice combination. So it, it could be partnering with other folks. There's some um, two um, women that are experts in strategic purchasing organizations and they first invited me to work with their company they were working with on how to help their buyers negotiate with salespeople that was very creative bringing in a sales trainer to train their buyers mm. on negotiation skills so I did that and then they've helped me with a number of clients where I'll bring them in on a, on a project or a program we'll work together and they'll represent the buyers they can help do role plays and really bring in that first-hand experience what do, how do they approach negotiating with a salesperson in that role and so forth. So that's other ways uh, to do it as well. So one of the things I was thinking about you now um, in your just well, what you're doing now, and presumably that someone um, is someone may hear this um, and kind of learning more about your background. What do you have any thoughts to share with someone that maybe is um, in that you give an example of the one potential client who said, Oh, we don't, we don't work with anyone from, from the car business or however that was phrased. Um, I, I'm just thinking, do you have anything to say to, or a perspective to give on maybe being empathetic to that mindset, but a way that you could um, respond to that? If someone out there is listening to this from the perspective of like, Oh, he was in car sales. Because unfortunately, we'll have to do another episode where we dive into more of the current stuff that you're doing. But I'm just thinking, um, is that something that you feel like there's um, that needs addressing, or you have anything to say on that? Sure, and yeah, I had to obviously live with it, deal with it, and so forth. Especially since the bulk of the clients in the area I focus is, it's a, you know, clients go from investment bankers in, in, in Manhattan to um, you know global corporations you know done work with Apple and, and Yahoo to um, all different types of uh, organizations but the majority are in the high-tech space software could be hardware or combination of that so in dealing with this but early on it wasn't just coming from that industry but it was just having no experience so how do you sell that as well uh, for them to take a risk to work with you and the approach was, well, isn't all that matter are the results? Isn't that what matters? And 
you know, I know people with the most amazing background experience that don't get good results. So, and the, and the ones with limited, um, uh, perhaps, what's the right word, but uh, notoriety in a certain space, they can get awesome results. So it's about the results. So we don't want to uh, become clouded and just take it for granted that someone's going to be great. It's like a comedian. You might go see the comedian because you heard they're funny, but you're not going to laugh just because they were funny last time. They have to perform every single time. That's the same with the sales and also in the, in the consulting work that I do. So uh, I was able to get some um, clients early on uh, with Ken's help, and then we were able to use them as references to say, hey, proof's in the pudding. Look at the results you're able to achieve. Isn't that what matters? Let's focus on that right there. Yeah. I remember one, one client was down in the Bay Area that wanted negotiation skills. The program it was a large very very large um, construction company they had built web they built uh, what was it uh, Oracle's campus beautiful campus and they were looking at myself they'd already worked with the company down in the Bay Area but I gave my proposal and they said hey you're, you're twice as much and I, I said well it's not what you pay us the results you get isn't it they said, okay, let's work with you. So that had a happy ending. <laughs> but that, that's kind of the idea is let's, let's not worry about that. Let's, let's talk about the results. Look at our past history, proven results. And no, you know, every situation is unique, but we take the time to work together to figure out how we can give, get you the best results. So really focusing on that piece of it and not getting caught up in the other stuff. Mm. So in uh, wrapping things up for today anyways, um, do you have any book recommendations for um, – people listening yes yes I love I love books I could spend all day almost reading books so I do uh, one recommendation is George Washington by Ron uh, Chernow I think that's a must read for everybody every US citizen what's the guys what's the author's Maybe, name perhaps anyone in the world Ron Chernow Okay. C-H-E-R-N-O-W. It's a long book. I cheat usually by getting the CDs from the mm. library, listen to them in my car while I'm driving around. But that was so good I bought the book as a reference. But it's, it's a, just an amazing, what you know, just to really learn um, what he went through, what the life was like. And it's a biography on him? It's a biography oh, on nice. him, yep. Uh, another one is... Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. And just about anything else Thomas Sowell's ever written. But this one in particular, most people, most politicians really are clueless on how economics works. You know, there's, a, there's a real science behind it. And I think a lot of people have good intentions, but those good intentions don't lead to good results. And so this is written so anyone can read it. I learned a lot more through this book than I ever did in my undergraduate degree anyway. This is a fantastic book. I think everyone should read that. And then uh, a really fun book was Shoe Dog mm. by Phil Knight. Especially if you enjoy athletics, a business, even more so if you live in Oregon. But really anywhere, Nike's you know global, and then another great book is Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. That's an older book, but uh, he wrote a really a trilogy, Angela's Ashes. The second book was called Tiz, and the third book called Teacher Man. But what a great, what a great writer! What a great. Um, it's really about his life, but it's just a, a gripping, gripping. And if you want a real treat, get the audio version because it's him speaking. You can hear his Irish accent. Mm. It's fantastic. And, and uh, Angela's Ashes is by who? Frank McCourt. Awesome. I'll be sure to link all these in yeah. the show notes if anyone's interested in finding them. Um, and then well, this is just the fun question I'm always interested in. Uh, favorite, if you had to pick one movie, I don't know if you're if you'd consider yourself a, a movie uh, person. What's your favorite movie of all time? And I also, I know this is a very difficult question, but I'm really interested in kind of the, you know, you can't 
you can't answer the Godfather or something that's like known by most, but the kind of the ones that are the sleepers that um, are maybe not super popular, but obviously, you know, just a good movie that you really like. Mm. Well, this will just kind of tell you, this won't be a, maybe a sleeper, but <clears throat> kind of what I enjoy in general, but Lord of the Rings. Um, I was trying to think a, a sleeper. I, you know, one I really liked was um, oh, I may forget the name of it, but it's a documentary. I love documentaries, but this is on this famous sushi restaurant in Japan, and it's actually in a subway, and it only seats ten people. And this guy, I think, a third grade education, but he was the it was the first maybe sushi restaurant ever to receive the Michelin highest rating of all restaurants. And uh, just talk about someone dedicated to his craft and just getting better and better and better. And now, of course, you know, the waiting list is forever to get, to get there. Uh, Obama had a famous dinner there um, as well. And that's a, I can't remember the name, sorry, but it's a fantastic documentary. I'll have to look that one up. I'm sure I can find it. This is Chris interjecting from the editing. Uh, I looked up that movie that Scott is talking about, and it is called Gyro Dreams of Sushi. Uh, it was released in 2011. It has a 7.9 on IMDb. So for any of you that are intrigued by Scott's description, again, the movie is called Gyro Dreams of Sushi. Um, all right, well, thanks for sharing those. I will link those up as well. Now I've got 10 questions rapid fire you don't have to provide any justification just go with your gut and answer them quickly all right what is one food you wouldn't want to give up bacon if you won a million dollars what would you buy a beach house if you had access to a time machine where would where and when would you go back to uh, the u.s revolutionary time if you could add one person to mount rushmore who would it be Oh, Thomas Sowell. If you could win any award, what would it be? I don't know if a, a gold medal is not really a, was that an award? Yeah, in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, morning, noon, or night? Night. And how do you like your steak cooked? Between medium rare and medium. All right. Well, um, I really appreciate your time, Scott. I feel like there's a number of other things that I'd like to. Um, dive into but uh, in closing uh, what how would you recommend people get in touch with you if they're interested in reaching out well they can they can call me direct at 503-525-8866 website is www.olsengroup.net and o-l-s-e-n group.net and uh, or email scott at olsengroup.net as well awesome well, thanks so much for joining us, Scott, and uh, we'll see you around. Great. Thanks, Chris. It was a lot of fun. Great job. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. As always, you can check out the show notes in the description on the podcast or visit my website, chriskiefer.net, to find any other relevant links or information that was discussed on the show. We'll see you next time. You're listening to The Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.